Hey everyone! I am super excited uh, for tonight. It is our first uh, online book club episode and so we are super excited to uh, start this new project. So I'm going to wait for my good friend Michael uh, to join us. I think that's him. All right. Michael should be joining us here momentarily. Hi, everyone. Hey, there he is. We got it. We got it. <laughs> How are per, you? Per, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I've been looking forward to this all day. Yeah. Look at you. Look at you looking so nice. You know, I, this like is I, excellent. I for you and everything. I mean, it's yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm ready. This is, this is, this is, I've been thinking about this since, since what, last week? It was it? Yeah, I think it was last. Here we are. I don't know. Did we have this wild hair last Thursday? Maybe. I mean, th I think we put was this it? together like in, in less than a week. So I know, but this is this has been. Uh, you know, you and I have been chatting about it ever mm -hmm. since. You know, we came up with the idea, and tons of messages and tons yep. of people sending information back and forth. Yep. So lots. Of, so lots of people that I know personally are joining us tonight, and a lot of parents yeah. have reached out to me. And and this was all. This was all really your idea. So all. Well, all all praise to you. All, all, all to you. This is this is such a, a an idea like this can only come from a mind like yours. Oh, and this God, is this God. is. <laughs> I don't know, Michael. He is so kind to me. I don't even know you guys. So I put this book club together actually about a year and a half ago on Facebook, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't do it live. I just read a book and then like typed some notes and a few people would read it. And I just felt like it wasn't interactive enough. You know, it wasn't like conversational. And so I was kind of like, uh, so I have a thousand plus followers on the book club on Facebook and I invited them to all come over. I hope a few of them at least do. But, um, anyways, I am excited to get started tonight. What, uh, Michael and I are going to do is, um, the book that we chose is actually called How Children Succeed, and it's by uh, the author Paul Tuff, and there is an introduction in the book. So we decided there's only five chapters. They're pretty lengthy chapters, but mm -hmm. tonight we're going to get started and just kind of, I felt like the introduction was pretty powerful. What did you think, Michael? I, 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 think, the, I think this introduction, so he wrote this introduction in the summer of 2009, and obviously a lot has, you know, changed and gone on since then. But I feel like this is even more applicable now based on what we just went through with virtual school, virtual learning, the pandemic, everything he describes right now, it's almost like he wrote this for 2020, 2021. So yep. this is a, this is a, Paul Tuff is a, is an incredible author. I sent you a great podcast that uh, he was inter interviewed on today. Uh, he's a great, so great speaker, great author. This introduction is the perfect way to sum up what's happening in the world, what's happening in education, and why he went on this huge journey to figure out how children succeed. I thought real quick I'd read, I took um, just a little like uh, biography, I don't know, some like Time Magazine or something came up, it, oh, it was the New York Times. So it just says Paul Tuff is an editor Oh, of New York Times uh, Magazine and one of the foremost writers on education, poverty, and the achievement gap. So I just thought that might be helpful for our listeners. Um, what was that podcast called? Do you remember, Michael? Maybe we can um, share it like in our stories when we're done because I listened to almost all of it and then I had to go, but it was so good. It was called Office Hours. 
That's right, so, office hours yeah. with somebody named Pink. Because what I yeah. thought was funny is the host's last name is Pink and his last name is Tough. And he was making a comment yes. like, both our last names are adjectives. Yes, like yes, that. yes. So, um, yeah. It was it was excellent, and um, it will be a nice uh, follow up, you know, to our discussion tonight and over the next few weeks. So we'll try to share that actual link to that podcast when we're finished with this. If you guys are interested, it was it was really great, and it was neat to hear his voice. You know, when you read a book, yeah, yeah, and then you have an idea, you know, that visual imagery, if you will, you know, you have an uh -huh, idea of what uh -huh. you think someone looks like or sounds like, and um, then you, you know, when I heard him, I was like. Oh wow, he's it's not quite I don't know he, is he Canadian? It's always different. It's always yeah, it different. Not, I don't know yes. what I was expecting, yep. but it was yep. just a little bit different. So I, I thought it was fascinating to put a um a, a voice, you know, with the name because I'm just super impressed uh with his work. Yeah, and, and uh, one of the reasons why I connect to this this book so much is a lot of this really a lot of the places he travels in this books are a lot of places from from where i've lived and my experiences so the book begins with him going to red bank primary school in red bank new jersey uh been there a bunch of times my, my good friend used to live there he goes to oh. riverdale he goes to riverdale country school i used to live literally right up the street from that school and i, I did a summer camp there uh he, he goes to some of the kip schools in philadelphia so I, I certainly have a, a very deep understanding of a lot of these places he visits in this book. Uh, and it, he, really, he really went above and beyond yeah. in, terms of, in terms of the people he, he, he researched, the people he, he interviewed, uh, to get as much information as possible to really challenge what he describes as the cognitive hypothesis. So, yeah. that's, really, yeah. so, so that's really, you know, uh, the fancy title of this book is you know, how children succeed. But what he's really doing is disproving the cognitive hypothesis. That's, that's, right. the, that's the, the, the thesis of this book. That's right. That's right. And um, so I think we can go ahead and jump in because he starts off in the introduction by kind of explaining what he means by this term, the cognitive hypothesis. And when I went back and reread the chapter or the intro, because I've read this book many years ago, um, mm -hmm. I took notes because I'm kind of a nerd. So um, oh, yeah, me too. Gonna, I'll just tell you <laughs> some of the notes that I took where he was. Um, and I, I really like this intro because it's kind of like setting the stage. Like you said, it's like gives the kind of this big picture of, OK, this is what we're going to talk about, but I love that he gives very specific examples about that, about that school. Um, and it, the cognitive hypothesis is this fairly new idea um, mm -hmm. in the past three, three and a half decades that has come about that has said, look, it's better to start earlier. We want to start force feeding academics earlier because success in school depends on um, how high your IQ is, right? How well you do on cognitive uh, testing, if you will. And so uh, the whole idea of the cognitive hypothesis is that success is measured by IQ. And test, uh, success is measured by how well you do on the ACT or the SAT, you know, as those high stakes tests, if you will. Um, and so what was fascinating to me is they referred to, he referred to this as, as, as the rug rat race, right? This yes. yes. We have to, it's not just yep. the rat race. Now it's the rug yep. rat race, right? And we're going to start when they're very, very young, when they're toddlers. But they link this cognitive hypothesis, this idea of force feeding academics to infants, toddlers, and preschoolers back to 19 1994, when the Carnegie Corporation published a report, and I love this, he said that sounded in sounded an alarm about mm. the cognitive development mm -hmm. of children under age three. And from that report, 
oh my gosh, you guys. Then came all these big, like, oh, what is it? Kuman? Is it Kuman? Kuman. Kuman. Kuman, right? Yeah. Which is like a Kuman is, you know? is huge out here on the, on, on the East Coast. Huge. Kuman's everywhere. And so it, the CEO of Kuman said, age three is the sweet spot. So we got to get in there um, starting at age three. And this is when there was this boom of birth to mm -hmm. three educational toys. And in my play seminar, I actually talk about this, um, that the, the largest growing category of toys is the make your baby smarter category. Yep. Right? Yep. And this book is fascinating because this is called Bye Bye Baby. And notice how they spell bye, right? Uh -huh. And this book is really about the commercialization of childhood and how um, parents want to raise, you know, the society says you need to raise the smartest, most talented kid on the block. So in order to do that, you need to buy high tech educational toys for your baby, right? For your infant, for your baby. And that's how this whole concept, the educational toy boom for infants and toddlers began is back in the, in the mid 1990s. So I think it's important. Would you agree, Michael, that our, our followers and our, our book club members understand that this is a fairly new hypothesis. This isn't how early childhood childhood has always been. I was born in 1971. And when I was in early childhood, kindergarten is the original early childhood. There was no mm -hmm. such thing as preschool when I was a kid. Um, and kindergarten used to be play-based. Yeah. Bar none. Uh, you used to go to yeah. kindergarten to learn the social, emotional skills and self-regulation skills necessary to succeed in school. Is that what kindergarten is today? Absolutely not. Not yep. even close. Nice. And that's and that's one thing that I loved about this chapter is because about the introduction to this book is because it starts exactly in a pre-K classroom. Yep. So he's starting where it all begins. Uh, and obviously, we're talking about this whole rugrat race and turning young kids into academic geniuses. But we all know that birth to three, birth to five period is crucial for for growth. So it mm -hmm. starts it starts in that room, and, and we can get to that. But, yeah. you know, you and I talk about this every time we meet, is that if there's one word to describe the kids today, it is these invisible disorders of yeah. executive dysfunction, ADHD, and anxiety. And, right. the ones, and, and the one thing I love about Paul Tuff is he is doing this as a researcher, a journalist, but also a parent. So right. he, he, he wrote this book as basically a brand new parent. And he was saying Ellington was born into to a particularly anxious moment in the history of American parenting. So this uh, capitalistic boom to uh, raise children into these geniuses immediately. And he joked on that podcast today about how you, like literally parents, like my wife was just pregnant. You know, they, they, people say, oh, play, read books to them while they're pregnant. Right. Play, class, play classical music while they're pregnant. All, and, and while you're dealing with pregnancy, uh, the, the stresses right. of pregnancy, now you have to do certain things to help your kid. You have to, to have cognitive stimulation it, in the womb. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's control. completely insane. Completely yeah. insane. It's, re it's really ridiculous. Uh, right. and, and, uh, and so really what's happening now is parents are getting so anxious because they're comparing their kids to all these other kids. And what always happens? Kids model themselves off of what they see and what's happening. Parents are anxious about their kids. And now look, we have, a, we have high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools filled with anxious kids. 
Right. Why? Right. Because of this capitalistic boom of you have to buy these products, you have right. to buy these toys, you have to do all these things. And it just, it just sparked my mind the other day. Uh, you posted like a list of books that you really like, and you posted the books by uh, Laurelette uh, Maranovich, uh -huh. yeah, uh, uh -huh. Learn With Less. She was, right. a guest, she was a guest on our Speech Science podcast oh, okay. a, a, couple, a couple of weeks back, and she had sent uh -huh. me her books. And her entire thing, her entire program is about learning with less, teaching right. your kids without toys. And that's what really came to me when it talks about all this baby Einstein stuff and everything. Oh. Uh, and and this, this, whole, this whole, whole idea of this cognitive hypothesis. Right. Uh, right. And it, it really, uh, this cognitive hypothesis changed and came into the picture right around the time of IDEA and yes. No Child Left Behind, all of these yep. things, and IEPs and 504s and all these things happening. And, and we now see 10 years, 15 years down the road, you know, this, this hypothesis has done more harm than good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this make your baby smarter, you know, mindset that our society has um, developed. I mean, we have so much research that has shown uh, that like the baby Einstein DVDs, the make your baby smarter DVDs are doing more harm than good. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. One study found that for every hour your baby watches baby Einstein DVDs, they learn six to eight fewer words than babies who've never been exposed to baby Einstein DVDs. So we have tons of research on this. And so my concern, and I guess what Michael and I, the reason we really wanted to do this book study and, and do this um, book club is because we need to be loud. I mean, Michael and I do what we can on social media. People are already asking, so what are we supposed to do? What are parents supposed to do? I don't understand. I mean, I did a post today kind of in preface yes. to this. I don't know if you saw yes. it, Michael, but I mean, tons and oh, tons I shared of, it. of feedback and questions and saying, okay, but we're being forced to use this curriculum in the early childhood classroom. We're, we're being told we have to use this. I understand that. I understand that I'm preaching to the choir, but it is going to take an army of early childhood voices, of mm -hmm. um, child development voices to say, we are not going to tolerate this anymore. This is not developmentally appropriate practice. This is not evidence-based to make four-year-olds write sentences. Four-year-olds shouldn't even be holding a number two pencil yet. There you go. This yes. is a pre-K curriculum now. We have yep. grade inflation. We're doing the second grade curriculum in kindergarten, the first grade curriculum in the four-year-old pre-K classroom. We're doing the kindergarten curriculum in the three-year-old classroom, and we're doing the four-year-old old pre-k curriculum with two-year-olds okay so we know this is happening i'm an early intervention provider i go into daycares all over um my local uh, area here and i'm telling you they're trying to do circle time with two-year-olds that's yeah. a four-year-old skill not yeah. that's a four-year-old yeah. activity not a two-year-old activity yeah. that's what four-year-olds should be doing so the cognitive hypothesis is driving everything. And like everybody who commented on my post today is saying is, but in order to get funding, we have to follow this, right? We have to show these test scores. We there you have to go. This curriculum. So we, Michael and I completely understand you guys that you are between a rock and a hard place. It's not like Correct. we're saying you guys aren't doing your job. Like you need to yell louder. That's not what this is about. This is about trying to show you guys the evidence that is out there so that we can challenge our administrators. So we can challenge our school board. So we can somehow um, figure out how to affect change as a body of concerned citizens. Because that's really what I feel like. I feel like, I, you know, I call myself a defender of play. I feel like I need a cape, you know, because I have to defend play. Something that you're doing, you work with older, older students and older kids, is you're defending leisure activities other than screen time. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's oh, a huge... Every, every day of my life. Oh, 
every, every day, day in my life. life. So yep. I'm trying to defend young children with developing brains and bodies, trying to get uh, parents and children alike off their smartphone, off their tablet, and engage in relationship-based learning, you know, focus on interactions and connections. And I want parents and caregivers to be in tune. It's called attunement, to be in tune with your child, um, to follow their lead, right? But we're also busy and we're also overscheduled and we're also digitally distracted and it is affecting um, every age group, I think, um, in the world. So I, I, I don't know, Michael and I, if you can't tell, we're passionate. Um, <laughs> Oof. Oof. Keep going, and, keep going. Um, I'm, loving, I'm, each I'm loving passion. it. So hey, um, Michael, hey. tell us one thing <laughs> that you really took from, so I, we talked a little bit about cognitive hypothesis. What's another primary point you took from the introduction? Yes. Uh, so, so just like you, I like to read and, and go through things. So, so basically the book starts with him. At, and, and let me just say, we have 71 people here right now. And I, and I am so thankful for all of you spending your Monday night with us. And, and, and just like Carrie was saying, we want tons of you. We want you guys to ask questions. We, we want you guys to participate. And if you guys are able to take something from these Monday chapter chats and bring it back to your school, and we can really spark that change, be that spark for change, because, hey, this book was written in, two, in 2009, okay? And it's just like I said before, this is 100% still applicable to the world today, if not more. If not more. And, mm -hmm. and, if, and, you know, and, and the next book after this goes right along these lines, so please take this information and let's be the spark to change because, you know, th there's only so much we can do us SLPs, us SLPs in the elementary school, in the middle school, in the janitor's closet, doing our tick cards. Right. There's only so, there's only so much we can do. We have right. got to be, we have got to be the spark for change. And this book is the, I'm so glad we're starting with this book. Let's, let's keep it moving. So, in, so the introduction starts with Paul Tuff observing at Red Bank Primary School. And he just basically sits back and he observes the room. And this is what he says. So observing a pre-K class, the students were remarkably, remarkably calm and orderly. No tears, no meltdowns, no tantrums, no fights. See, when I read that, that does not only apply to kindergarten, that applies to high school, oh. middle school, all of that. Absolutely. What? How about what your work? Yeah. There you go. Well. What? Mm -hmm. What SLP? What teacher? What special ed teacher wouldn't want to have a day a week with no meltdowns, no tantrums, right. no fights? And right. that's what that's what he was observing at this school. And he said the teacher really wasn't going out of her way to maintain order. The teacher wasn't, you know, spouting directions. And he really discusses a lot on the podcast, which I really liked. And there were no gold stars, no gold stars, no timeouts, yeah. no, uh, oh, I like the way you're paying attention. No rewards for good behavior. None of that. He was no letting. Punishments no bad, punishments. No, no nothing. for good. Letting, letting the kids. Powerful. There you go. Letting the kids be kids letting them interact with each other. If one kid was dominating, if one kid was hurting another kid's feelings, they were letting them work it out. 
So this particular classroom was using a program called Tools of the Mind, which was created by two educators in Denver. And when I first read through this book, I didn't really put too much thought into Tools of the Mind. But, you know, since we're rereading it, I looked it up and it's a it's a fabulous program. It there's is. things there's things I agree with, things I don't agree with. I would probably like it more if it was created by an SLP, but that's just me yeah. and bias. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but it's it, it's a it's what I love about it is that it focuses on private speech. And this is literally my heart and soul, my blood, my passion, everything is this internal language piece. This is, this is what I did my year-long research study on. This is what the Grow Now model is all about. All of that is that internal language and private speech because this is what kids are missing when they are constantly being given adult directives. They're constantly being told what to do, Things are being too structured. Adults are structuring their days. Uh, they don't have time to be bored. They don't have time to struggle. They don't time to. They don't have time to learn from negative experiences and learn from their peers and have unstructured social interactions. They don't have the opportunity to develop an internal language and an internal voice. And also that's what called self-talk, right? Also I called you earlier and said, because I've always called it self-talk. You know, when you talk yep. to yourself and you're like, okay, I need to remember to stop and get groceries. And I need to, you know, as an adult, I need to stop and get gas. And I need to remember to go home and do that progress report. That's that self-talk. Or like one of the examples he gives in here is, oh, if I'm learning my letters and I'm writing the letter W, you know, what, what do I do? Okay, it's down. Up, yep. down, yep. up. That, but you don't say it aloud. You don't. You don't no. speak it out loud. It's, it's all your here. Internal voice. It's your self-talk. It's your. There you go. I mean, it's so powerful because I think about how you know. I think that's what's missing, and that's part of the executive dysfunction, isn't it? Not having that that internal voice, that self-talk. Exactly, and and we have we have one comment here. I loved that mentioning of de-emphasizing external rewards and punishments and making it intrinsic. Yep. So this is so th I, I just had a conversation with a mom today about uh, having like a contract for a student, and then we we really want to make the sessions, the executive functioning sessions, become intrinsic and him to be intrinsically motivated to attend the sessions. Uh, and and this is really what it is. Any time that we can make socialization, homework, uh, uh, in, uh, being kind to people, uh, getting good grades, make it intrinsic for a student. Right. That's when they're, when anytime something goes from external to internal. So like you and I were talking today about Vygotsky and the work that he did. So basically what Vygotsky did was he found that kids start to have external voice and external language, uh, you know, at, yeah, through yeah, through play, play, play is super important. And mm -hmm. play, play also goes from external to internal. Exactly. That's another, another, another thing. But speech, so Vygotsky found that speech is all external. Kids describe their world around them and they eventually develop self-talk, but it's all external and they right. self-coach self themselves externally. And then between the ages of five and seven, you start to see kids do this. They'll move their lips, but you can't hear it because they're talking to themselves and they're slowly developing that internal speech. And that is the beginning of executive, that's like there's executive functioning before, but this is true executive functioning, that's it. So it's self-talk, it's self-directed talk, yep. it's verbal working memory, it's whatever you want to call it. There's a million different words, a million different ways to look at it, but it's right. crucial. And, and that's what this program was focusing on. The teacher was not stepping in. 
the teacher was right. not giving adult prompting. He was letting them be kids, letting them interact, letting them work things out. So right. that private speech and that focus on it was allowing these kids to thrive. Um, yep. and, and right here, your idea about Montessori preschools, it seems very disciplined. So Montessori, uh, you know, some Montessori schools can be quite disciplined and all that. But Montessori really focuses on project-based learning and real-world application of real-world things. So Paul Toff was also asked that question on the podcast about Montessori schools. And he said, yeah, Montessori schools really seem to have a really good thing going. And a lot of the people calling in were actually former Montessori students that were now heads of Montessori schools. <laughs> uh, so Montessori schools really... Uh, there's not enough of them, I guess. And right. I guess they've sort of, they've sort of found a way to kind of, you know, uh, you know, trademark what they're doing kind of thing. Right. But we're talking about the big picture. We're talking right. about, you know, nationwide public education right. really needs to do a, a 180 uh, and really start to focus on, on, on the, uh, you know, we need to move away from the cognitive hypothesis. Right. Can I, can I throw one thing in here? Um, I, so I'm going to show you, this is a book that it's called, and it's actually a whole early childhood kind of movement, um, and it's called Loose Parts Play. And what I love so much about Loose Parts is it is 100% child-directed. So, you know, mm. you get, like, just loose parts. They might be toilet paper tubes, or they might be, you know, milk lids, or they could be sticks, or they could be rocks. And the whole point is you want the children to use the right side of their brain, their creativity, their imagination, and decide how they want to play. But we're raising a generation of children who expect to be told how to play, right? They want the rules. They want the, to know, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, do whatever you want. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, do whatever you come up with. Well, so many kids today aren't able to come up with an, uh, a novel idea on their own because they are so used to having such immense structure in their young lives. So this is why uh, making sure your child is bored. Boredom is the fuel for creativity. And we are raising a generation of children who are overscheduled, who never have a chance to get bored. And when they do get bored, what's the first thing they do? They go to their iPad, they go to the TV, they go to their screen. So the whole idea of losing parts is something I'm extremely passionate about as an early childhood uh, specialist and we just want children to be able to I mean how many kids don't even know what to do with wooden blocks I cannot even yeah. tell you you yeah. dump wooden blocks out and they're like I had one kid I am not kidding you he walked in the room he was actually like the four and a half year old brother of the two year old I was there to see for speech therapy and he, I said do you want to come play with us and the big brother was like all right he kind of came over and he picked up the wooden block and he goes well how do you turn it on and I thought for sure he must be joking. He was not joking. He had never really played with anything didn't have, that didn't either have a battery or an on-off switch or a screen. So this is something that when we look at high-quality early childhood curriculums or programs, um, we really want those programs that emphasize child-directed play. Play is um, a reflection of development. And so when we have children who don't know how to play, I can about guarantee you there's going to be language and social uh, uh, deficits, probably some executive function deficits because there's going to be a problem with you know, being able to initiate that's a huge thing, isn't it, Michael? Being able to initiate an activity, to initiate play, to initiate an appropriate interaction. How about to stay on task, sustained attention? You know, how about to finish something without having an adult going, do one more piece. Come on, buddy, you can do it. One more piece. Let's finish this. There needs to be some of that, again, that intrinsic motivation to play for the sake of the joy that it brings them, right? I did it. You know, I finished it. I got it. I built it. What I want to hear little kids say all day long is, is, whoop. 
Look what I did, right? Look yep. at me. Look what I made, yep. right? We yep. want that. That's intrinsic. Yep. It's not give me a sticker, give me give me five minutes on the iPad, give me a gold star. That's not. But this is what we tend to do is create yep. children who expect to be rewarded for yep. doing something, right? Yep, yep. And and this is this is a huge thing that I, I coach my parents with all the time. Uh, is this what you're describing is really social reciprocity. And this is a, hu a huge issue with executive functioning. And a lot of the kids today are takers and not givers. They're growing up in a world where they're so used to taking and taking and taking, and they don't see the 50-50 of the relationships where they have to give as well. And they're taking in and they're saying, oh, I've earned five minutes of iPad time. I've right. earned TV time. I've, I've earned internet time. Right. I've earned the ability to have a new computer, a new video game, all of these things. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, it's, it's hurting their social relationships and it's affecting their ability to be intrinsically motivated. You know, there's reasons, there's reasons why kids these days are not doing homework. There's reasons why they don't care about school. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they don't care. This is the culture that we've created. All right. of this, you know, a particularly anxious moment in American parenting. There, all of that anxiety from parents has now trickled down into our kids. And right. they, they feel like they are destined to fail. So yep. why bother even trying? Why, why, even try? Tr why try a new task? Why try at school? Why do my homework? I am right. never, I am never going to uh, live up to the grand expectations of, of my parents who believe in this cognitive hypothesis. Right. Um, right. And and you know, I, I'm, of course, I'm just going to escape into screens because right. they make me feel good, and because when I'm on a screen, I'm getting constant dopamine, and yes. I'm in full control. And you know what's also fascinating that I learned from you, Michael, is that when our kids, because we know screen time is highly addictive to everybody, to children, to adults, but what was so fascinating that I learned from you is that when you're in front of a screen, you don't have to have the visual images, right? Because everything is being provided for you. So yep. we were talking about, I think on our last uh, live together, how, you know, when you read a book and you have a picture in your head of what the characters mm -hmm. look like, what they sound like, and then you see the movie and you're like, oh, the movie was awful. You need to read the book, right? Because our visual imagery, it is such a powerful thing. But when you're in front of a screen, none of that visual imagery even comes into play. So we're missing a whole component of that executive function and look at us. We are a society addicted to our screens. Now, 100%. I'll say it again. Screen time is not in and of itself inherently bad. Look what screen time allows you and I to be able to do. We live a thousand miles apart and look at us. We've never even met in person. But yeah. I consider you like one of my besties now, right? That's now, right. That's not, right. <laughs> it's not that screen time is inherently bad. What we need to be concerned about is when screen time interferes with healthy relationships, when screen time interferes with intrinsic motivation, when screen time interferes with the ability to learn and develop and, you know, and succeed in life, that's when screen time becomes a concern. Yeah, and, and we, we have one comment here. I see so many children with difficulties with visualization. So another thing, oh. that, another thing that sparked my mind today, listening to the Paul Tuff podcast, as well as this, is uh, you know so much of what drives this cognitive hypothesis. So we talk about you know the capitalism of selling all these toys, which is which is huge right. part of this as well. But let's also think about all of these test makers as well. The people that are that like so. Let's this is what this is what I was thinking about today. Listening to him is let's think about our Pearsons. Let's think about our linguist systems. Let's mm -hmm. think about all these people that are making these tests. 
to assign a number to a child. And, and, and look, us, us, all of us, and all, everything that, uh, you know, SLPs are guilty of it, OTs, PTs, all of us, of these this, this culture we've created of standardized scores, standard right. deviations, age equivalents, right. it's all crap. All of it is crap. All the tests are crap. It, it, it is. It is. And, and yeah. we, are, we, we are ingrained in this in grad school to test, test, test. We have a whole system now where a kid could so obviously not fit into a school, have tons of anxiety, have executive function difficulties. Oh, but he wasn't a full standard deviation away from the mean. We can't get right. him services. Right. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely it ridiculous. Is. And, and this is a lot of uh, what made me think about this today is we've created this culture of you know us as clinicians to focus so mm -hmm. much on scores. And now parents are obsessed with scores and parents right, want right. parents like especially but and i tell them all the time and what's the amazing coincidence about this is is you know so there's a cognitive hypothesis that focuses focuses on iq and skills and scoring the numbers and doing all those things but what truly matters these skills of uh, controlling your impulses, staying focused, avoiding yep. distractions, mental yep. traps, managing your emotions, organizing your thoughts, persistence, self-control, curiosity, yep. conscientiousness, grit, self-confidence. You can't measure that. See, so that's this, exactly. There you go. Yes. So there why you go. are we obsessed with, in early childhood, things like letters, numbers, shapes, and colors, things like that? Because they're easy to measure. When we need documentation, we need to prove, does he know three shapes? Check. Does he know five letters? Check. But how do we measure the ability to stay on task, right? How do there we measure the ability to tune out distractions? How do we yes. measure those things? And the problem is, it is so hard to measure. So what we have to do is look at the child's ability to function in his natural environment, whether that's the yes. classroom, whether that's the home. We start looking at the ability to form and maintain relationships. Because let's be very honest, that's what makes human beings different from other mammals, right? The other animals. There you go. Maintain, form, and yep. maintain relationships. Yep. So we know that this is a huge issue. How many of our, our preteens or teens, you know, uh, older kids are struggling learning how to make and keep friends? You know, we can force it in early childhood. Oh, you're inviting, you know, Carlos to your birthday party. You're inviting Ashley, whether you want to or not. But as mm -hmm. kids get older, mom and dad no longer have say over who you invite or who you're going to hang out with. And that's when um, uh, the issues arise. Somebody asked a question. I just want to address it before I forget. Somebody asked, does being in nature help kind of develop any of these skills? Oh, and um, I just yeah. want you to know, here's probably- Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, being in nature is probably one of the most important things. So being in nature, but also tie into that movement, play-based movement, right? Not just sitting sedentary in front of a screen, but this book is called Last Child in the Woods by Richard Louv, L-O-U-V. And his uh, newer book is called Vitamin N, which is all about nature. And so yes, 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 and yes. Yes, and yes to the hundredth to the hundredth degree recess. yeah don't even get us started on reducing recess and you know ch childhood has literally michael moved indoors literally mm -hmm. it has moved mm -hmm. indoors in the digital age and let's remember because it's so easy to forget that the ipad was released in 2010 Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. think about the fact that it is that new, and yet our entire world, our entire early childhood, our entire existence is different because of handheld digital devices, right? There you go. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and this is like, like a, a big thing about this introduction is we talk about the anxiety of parenting, 
trickling down to kids and this sort of, you know, uh, hole we've sort of dug ourselves into. Uh, mm -hmm. And this whole love for standardized scores, standard deviations, age equivalents. For academics. For physical. academics, for everything. Yes, for academic focus. Because the whole, yep. and I'm sorry, I just cut you off. I have No, go for it, go for it. No, this is great, this is but great. But in this intro, that the main focus is, look, people, we have to stop with the academic focus and start with the non-academic focus, right? And those were all mm -hmm. the skills, Michael. You already um, said them. I'm going to say a few of them again. And go back and look at my post today because this is exactly what I posted on to prepare us for tonight. Impulse control. How important is that? Yeah. How important uh, is impulse control? 100%. Right? So, so, so another thing that Paul Tuff did here was he did a uh, he talked to someone named James Heckman who won a oh, who, yes. who won a Nobel Prize a, a really fascinating man See, and he right there in my he, mm -hmm. he studied individuals who went to get their GED so Fast. the G the GED is basically a certificate you get if you want to uh, show that you have high school competency and you want to graduate early showing that you know everything i'm going to learn academically in high school i already know let me let me move on with my life and stop you know doing the day-to-day -day of high school that's basically what a ged right. is so basically they, they they followed ged students and high school students and the ged was supposed to be this great uh, launch their lives fast and move on and do great things, right. uh, but, it, but it, it didn't happen. So basically, uh, what Heckman found that people that graduated high school early with the GED did not move on to success because they were missing the psychological traits that allowed high school graduates to make it through school. And those traits were an inclination to persist at a boring and often unrewarding task. Not I like, preferred task. I like right? trip. I like triple underline that because yeah. what a what a missing skill yep. for the kids of 2021. The name of the book, the book right here. There you go. So one. So think think about that. Think about your students you work with, whether it's high school, middle, elementary, whatever it may be. Think about that. The ability to persist at a boring and often unrewarding task. How when many I times was, per day do we have to do that? Yes. You have to do the dishes. You have to yes. do laundry. You have to do a progress report. You have to do your billing. You have to, I mean, how many mundane tasks, honestly, Michael, do we have to do in a day as adults? And think about kids the same way. I need you to pick up your room. You need to put your laundry away. Nobody wants to do that. Who in their mm -hmm. right mind wants to do that? But we all have to do non-preferred activities, and we must finish them. And so yes. being able to, this is why some agencies, some companies will only hire college graduates not because they care about what you learned or what your GPA was what do they want to know they want to know that you can finish what you started they want to know that you have persistence that you have tenacity that you have grit that you have resiliency right there you Those go are the character traits that both um, Paul Tuff and what was his name Heckman found that yep. are absolutely essential and so Heckman asked three questions he asked which skills and traits lead to success how do they develop in early childhood? And what kind of interventions might help children do better? And I'm just here to say, those are the only three questions we need to care about. Right there, there you go. Outlined them. Nobel Prize winner outlined them for us. So what yep. we're doing in early childhood is not evidence-based and none of it, being able to label your letters and your numbers and being able to draw your letters and write your name when you're four, none of those are gonna lead to success in, later in life.
Yep. And, and, and this is, it's such a, uh, it sounds so simple being able right. to persist through a boring and unrewarding task, but it is a true missing art with the youth of today. When I was in, in preschool, elementary school, middle school, you know, we would be given tasks, given assignments and the room would be silent and everyone, everyone would truly be working and kids and, and people, you know, brush off screens and say, Oh, it's how kids socialize now. It's how right. they make friends now. It's this generation. First it was radio, then it was TV. Now it's screens, and and they right. brush it off and they try to do a uh, they try to do like a like a one eighty on it, and t- take a positive right. twist on it. Sure. But you know, with with radio, there's going to be breaks in the action. It's not going to take up your whole day. With TV, there's commercials and shows come on shows come right. on you don't like. Screens are an all day, everyday thing. Your phone is in your pocket twenty four seven. There is nothing like it. There's never been anything like it in human history. And what these kids now have is it's a world of instant gratification. They are not able to be bored and they are not able to persist through a boring and unrewarding task. And this Nobel Peace Prize winning man found that people with GEDs did not go on to be successful because they could not persist at a boring and unrewarding task, period. their cognitive ability despite their exactly to say i have the skills of any other high school grad but this goes back to cognitive hypothesis is being smart right michael is being smart enough and what all of this entire book is about they're finding test scores how many people do you know who got a 32 on their act or you know got some really high score and flunked out of college just because you have cognitive skills just because you have tons of knowledge stuffed in your head that you can Mm -hmm. pull out at a moment's notice does not mean you will be successful in life right and there you go these other character traits you mentioned um inclination to persist at boring and unrewarding tasks the ability to delay gratification. This is my big thing in early childhood because I know we work with different populations. This is the sign for wait, sign language, right? I always tell parents, waiting is a life skill. And if you have a child who cannot wait, I am telling you we have a problem with delayed gratification. The ability to sit still. This is why I think there should be, families should have screen time rules. And one of the rules I encourage all my families to have is no watching movies in the car unless you've been in in the car for over an hour. You should be able to ride 20 minutes to daycare or 30 minutes, you know, to run an errand without having to be entertained by your screen. But we're raising a generation of children who feel the need to be entertained every waking second of every day so what happens when they go to school and they're bored they is the teacher going to give them her phone out of her bag or is the teacher going to give him his ipad off his desk it's not going to happen people so as parents we have to stop giving children screens to pacify them just like we give them a pacifier it is causing huge issues with delayed gratification with the ability to wait and that is a huge life skill it's a non-academic skill that will determine who is successful and who is not successful in life there you go there you go so another thing that really jumped out to me with this introduction is you know i always try to do like a little introspective thing and uh i'm trying to remind myself okay james james uh, paul tuff is uh, a journalist he's a father he's doing his own little research he's not he doesn't have the training of an slp he's not a clinician you know and that's something that i personally kind of struggle with that's my weakness as a clinician is when i'm doing parent coaching or i'm working with a parent 
so many times I'll just assume something is known or understood and like, okay. oh, it's so, it's so obvious. Why isn't the parent already right. doing this? Why doesn't the parent already know this? Why doesn't the parent know this is the next step? And that's something I need to do better at is, as a clinician is I need to do better at stating the obvious to make sure that it's understood, it's spoken, and they're doing that. And basically what Paul Tuff is doing here is he's a clinician, number one, and he's not a clinician, number he's one. He's a psychologist. And he's right? a, uh, yeah, uh, is he a psychologist? No, I guess he's not. Or is he just, just, just a journalist? James he's Heckman a journalist. is a psychologist. Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's crazy yeah. is he is not a psychologist. Yeah, he's a journalist yeah. who has done tons of research and yep. is clearly yep. fascinated by this topic, as are we. So, so one thing that you never read or see in this entire introduction is the term executive functioning. He never uses the term executive functioning. It's funny, he refers to them as non-cognitive skills. Yep. When in reality, they are the true cognitive skills. Right. You know, this is, cog this is cognition. This is, is, this is executive functioning. This the is self-talk. The, the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, I think I referred to him as soft skills. Soft skills, yeah. So, so, soft skills, but he, right. he, Paul Tuff tends to just list them out. So he'll right. list them right. out, you know, persisting at a task, delaying gratification. Uh, he even mentions uh, GED holders, he wrote, are wise guys who lack the ability to think ahead. That right there is, is executive future future thinking skills because it's planning this is, planning is an executive function skill right this is what this is what sarah ward talks about all the time right. is the ment the mental spatial time travel and right. this is this is non-verbal working memory and this is the visual imagery system like you talked about is you need is, is we need to be able to visualize ourselves in the future being successful yes. at tasks and when we wake up in the morning before we get out of bed, we have to picture ourselves ready to get out the door and ready to go right. take, take on the day. By a certain time. By a certain time. So, so he, he, he just says the ability to think ahead. But we know as clinicians, this is nonverbal working memory. This right. is the visual imagery system. This is future thinking skills. This is mental spatial time travel. There's so many things happening here. And Paul Tuff tends to just list them out. But he's right. basically what he's saying is the cognitive hypothesis is wrong. IQ scores, standard scores, age equivalents are going to get you nowhere. We need uh, executive functioning skills because right. these are the skills that allow a person to persist, yep. be successful, and be okay with struggling. Be okay right. with failure, right. have some resiliency, and have some grit. Okay, so I have a question. I'm going to have you um, uh, uh, solve a, a dilemma that my husband and I, so my husband and I have been married, it'll be 28 years in uh, nice. next week. And um, one of the things, I use this crazy term, okay? Um, and the term I've used our entire marriage is the term pre-planning. And he thinks it's the most ridiculous term ever because he's like, no, 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 it's just planning. You don't have to say pre-planning. And I'm like, but no, 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 like I plan to go to the grocery store, right? Like, okay, so I'm planning to go. But for me, pre-planning is like thinking of all the things, like making sure I make a list. And, 100%. Uh, sure I have gas in my car. So for me, pre-planning, I don't know. I like think seven steps ahead. And he's like, no, 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 that's just planning. That's just called planning. So I'm just curious, mm -hmm. have you ever heard the term pre-planning? And is it- I have. So, and so I've heard it described in many different ways. I've heard of pre-planning. I've heard of front-loading. I've heard of, you know, there's, it's, it's basically prioritizing and problem-solving. So you have to prioritize and problem-solve before you plan. 
So you have to, so it, you're having a, you're basically being conscientious, you know, I'm right. like, just, just, just like Paul Tuff would do is, yeah. you know, he, he's basically thinking of all these, these great things that you're doing, knowing to pre-plan. And mm-hmm. let's think about our students, deep planning. There we go. So we have, we have yeah, an I idea like here, that. deep I like planning. That. I like that. Good job. Good job. Way to go, Megan. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying all the, you guys are doing yeah, a great job tonight. Great, aren't they? The comments have been fantastic. We've had a fantastic audience tonight and we're going to, we're going to keep this up. Uh, but she has heard of pre-planning, which is great. So, so that's that's huge. I feel is, vindicated. That it there is you a go. Term someone else has heard of. So, <laughs> so print out the comments and send it to your husband. <laughs> I like it. Pre-planning, it, it's crucial. And think about it: are are our middle school and high school kids with executive function difficulties? Are they pre-planning? Absolutely not. They're not even planning. And what Sarah Ward always says: these kids are now versus not now. They are stuck right. in the present moment. Right. They, are not, they are not learning from their mistakes from the past. This is why they're repeating mistakes over and over, over and over and again. Over. They're not so learning they're, from their mistakes. They're not learning from their mistakes. They're not learning from past experiences. They're not, right. you know, they're, they're not using the, the nonverbal visual images of the, of the past. And they are definitely not mental spatial time travel into the future so they can right. be better in the present moment. They are literally stuck. They have right. the, the, uh, what, what Dr. Russell Barkley calls the time myopia, which is the time right. blindness. So they right. are literally in tunnel vision right now. It's 848. That's it. That's it. I'm stuck here. And then that's the time. That's you know it. Comes, Michael. I can't. I can't get to work on time, or I can't do my homework, or I can't do math. So then comes the um, that that mindset, that fixed mindset of, well, I'm dumb, or I'm gonna fail anyway, so I'm not even gonna try, right? So that's yep. why you know exactly. Why, you know, we talked about exactly. this in our last live growth mindset. Before we move on, though, somebody asked a question, and I just don't want to skip over it. She said, well, how do we start teaching executive function skills, like in young children? So I just want to comment, because, I mean, this is what the book is about, and we're going to get into this as we go. But one thing that I think of as an early childhood provider is, so let's say um, it's snack time, okay? And let's say we're in a daycare center. One of the ways that we teach children to wait, to delay gratification, is like, we're going to pass out all the cups and all the napkins and all the snacks, and nobody gets to take a bite until everybody has received their treat. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, That teaches mm -hmm, kids that mm -hmm. no, you don't get to just dig in. You don't get to just, you know, dive in right when your food's placed in front of you. So it's that whole idea of setting up scenarios where kids have to wait, right? Where kids have to problem solve. Oh, um, uh, is something, maybe a toy is broken. Some kids just come unglued when a toy is broken or when a piece is missing. And what we want to do instead of, oh, well, let's go find it. Let me help you find it. Say, well, what else could you use instead? Or do you think you can play it without that piece? What could we do differently with those pieces? I've had kids through just that thoughtful questioning and helping them really problem solve, take the puzzle pieces out and play with them like animals. You know what I mean? Play with mm-hmm, them. like mm-hmm. Instead of doing the puzzle why don't we since you're missing one is there another way you could play with them you know do you want to maybe you could draw around them you know and trace around them so it's this whole here this is one of my favorites is taking like a big board book in early childhood and showing kids that this can be a tunnel right for cars yeah. to drive through or for cars uh-huh. up the mountain and down the mountain oh but it's a book oh i know we read books but let me let's think of other things that we could do with the book what else can we do so this is what we do is we teach flexible thinking right we do it through play and activities of daily living folding the laundry oh we don't have a laundry basket what could we use Oh, we could use that milk crate over there to carry the laundry. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's about being creative. It's about using the right side of your brain. We are 
forcing children to only do what they're told to do, to follow rules, to follow adult direction. If we really want to teach our executive function early on, we're going to introduce the concept of loose parts. We're not going to give them yeah, yeah. buttons to push and battery operated where you push a button and the kid pushes it. Old McDonald had a farm. EI Old McDonald had a Old Mc, 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 Old Mc. I've been there. What kind of toy I've been is there. that? What is that teaching the kid? No, it's about saying, let's be flexible in our thinking. Let's be creative. Let's go outside and let's just take a nature walk. And parents always ask me, oh, what's a nature walk? And I'm like, I don't know, take a bucket and go see what you can find and put it in the bucket. You know what I mean? So now you're working on, you're walking on uneven surfaces through the grass. You're squatting down and picking things up. It's a huge sensory as you pick up sticks and bugs and leaves and twigs and berries and all these things. And you put them in the bucket and you describe them. And so it's language. It's, I don't know. I mean, live life, you know, put yes. the screen down, go outside, yes. go to the zoo, have a no phone fun day. That's my favorite thing in the world. Oh, buddy, we're going to go have no phone fun. And what that means is we're going to go to the park or the grocery store or the zoo, and I'm not going to take one picture or one video of you. No there phone you go. fun Beautiful. is every Beautiful. kid's favorite activity because this is literally how kids see their parents all day now is with their phone in front of them. They never see their parents' face because all they're doing is taking videos and pictures. Promise your kid to go have no phone fun go to Chuck E. Cheese and don't take a picture actually engage with your child hang out talk enjoy life right it isn't about documenting on social media that you're a good parent we have to move past that and I think that that would change relationships between parents and children in a drastic way Yes. And so the, so let me first, let me just comment on the whole documenting on social media. So like we talk about the whole cognitive hypothesis thing right. uh, of all the parents being in competition of my kids, the biggest genius sort of thing. Right. How about the whole I'm the better parent on social Absolutely. media thing, documenting everything you do with your kids? You know, social media, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of social media to, to begin with. You know, right. it's things like it's things like this that get me coming back to it, like exactly. being able to do this and that kind of stuff. But, you know, phone free Fridays, all those sorts of things do yep. that. But back to what you back to what you were saying, when it comes to, you know, the work that, that, that we do with as executive function specialists, when it comes to the parent coaching, you know, obviously, the number one thing is you have to respect the stresses that the parents are going through with their sure. job and all the work that they're doing. So I try to keep it very, very simple for them. So I always preach two separate things. Okay. Inter interpersonal relationships and varied experiences. Ooh, that's varied it. experiences. So that's it. Inter so that's the number one thing is these executive function kids who are stuck in the now, who right. uh, can't intrinsically motivate, can't regulate, can't delay, can't, gratification. Can't, can't delay gratification. What do they end up doing? Because they're missing all of these skills, all of these non-cognitive skills, these right. soft skills, which are just executive functioning skills. Right. What, do right. they, what do they tend to do? They find these small, narrow comfort zones and everything else needs to be avoided at all costs. Right. I'm going to be on my phone all day. I'm going to be on my computer all day. I'm going to be on my Xbox all day. I'm yep. going to be on, on Instagram, Snapchat, Discord. I'm going to be on all these things all day and everything else is going to be ignored, put on the back burner and never thought about. Right. You have got to make sure that your child is doing. So one thing that I tend to do on my intake calls with parents is I'll say, okay, what does a typical day look like for your son or daughter? How many different things are they doing in a day? And if the parent says, oh, he gets up, he eats, he plays his games, he goes to sleep, then you know that you're going to have a lot of work to do. 
If you have a kid right. that that has uh, that has to go outside, that has to go on exercises, that has to go on walks and listen to podcasts and, and music, that has to skateboard. But, Mike, think about this. We have to make kids ride their bike today. Will you please yeah. tell me that when you were a kid, riding your bike was the joy of your life? What, what, I mean, do you remember how childhood oh my God. used to be? What did you and I, I don't know how old you are. Can I ask? Are you, where, where I am, were you born? I am 1987. Oh my God, you're a baby. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yep, oh my yep. God. Okay, you're a baby. So I was born <laughs> at 71. So, but I am pretty much certain that you and I, that our childhoods were very similar because what it oh, is, yeah. we played outside and we rode bikes. Is that fair to say? Like, if you want to put it in a nutshell, that's pretty much what we did. We didn't yep. have all these distractions that kids have today, right? We were bored incessantly, okay? Our yep. summers were not filled with Lego camp and robot camp and all these camps that were directed by adults. What were our summers? Uh, there were three months oh, yeah. of boredom and we found stuff to do and we engaged with other people and we played with kids in our neighborhood and yep. that's what's missing today. How do you motivate a 13 year old? You take their screen away. That's what you do. You make exactly. sure that they get bored and they say, but there's nothing to do. Exactly. Find something to do. That's what my mom yes. would say. If you can't yes. go outside and play, if you can't find yes. something to do, I have chores. If you want to do yes. chores, I mean, I can give you that. So we have to reinstill boredom. <laughs> We have to teach children how to think for themselves. We have to start with play in early childhood. And we must, at all costs, reduce passive screen time experiences. I mean, that is just a no-brainer. The research out there is astounding, okay? Mm -hmm. Absolutely astounding as to what it is doing to uh, young children with developing brains and bodies. And so um, we're, we're going to have to make some changes as a society. And um, if we want to affect... Right. Are you there? I am. Am I lost? Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah, it just, it just froze for a second. Okay. So, and and another thing I love about another thing I I love about this introduction was Paul Tuff ends it all by saying, "If we want to improve the odds for children in general and poor children in particular, he does a great job looking at different socioeconomic statuses." Uh -huh. We need to approach children anew to start over to start over with some fundamental questions about how parents affect their children and yes. how how human skills develop and how character is formed. So that's I have one the of the exact paragraph. There right you go. There. So that's one of the biggest things is he and he he talked about this on the podcast is is I use the word character a lot. But, uh -huh. but he, he doesn't mean, like, your personality. Right. He, he means, like, truly executive function skills. He means yeah. your set of skills. If you term, it, it would have been yes. so perfect. Because exactly. I feel like he dances around it because yes. he's not a therapist. Do you know what yes. I mean? Because he's not, he doesn't know what you know about that term executive function. What I also love is, you know, so the book is called how children succeed. So I think the big question that we're going to answer as we go throughout this book is which children succeed and how. And really what he's getting at is how do our experiences in childhood make us the adults we become? Mm. That's there really you go. powerful. My husband and I there had a discussion today because I said, you know, 
I mean, when I look at myself, I mean, I'm the first person in my family to go to college and nobody ever told me I should go to college. I don't know what it was. I was intrinsically motivated to get a college education, thought I was going to be a teacher, went to the University of Iowa and somehow stumbled upon communication disorders and sciences. And I think about, I own my own business. I mean, a very successful business. My husband quit his full-time job six years ago and runs it with me. So we are selling, I mean, and I think about, and I have, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you, I got a 19 on my ACT. If you would have looked at my high test stake score, uh, test score, you'd have said, Carrie Ebert will never make it in this world. She does not have the cognitive capacity to do well in this world. And so I am happy to tell you that I, um, you know, I was almost a straight A student in high school, but I did not test well on those, you know, high stakes tests. And so I, I look at myself and I go, you know, I feel like a pretty functional member of society. I own my own business. I pay my taxes every quarter, a lot of taxes, okay, because mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. self-employed. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I've done pretty well for myself, but if you look only at the cognitive hypothesis, I don't there you go. in this world. And, and you're a mom. And I'm a mom. <laughs> there you go. One of them is go. autistic. And yep. so uh, what I've learned a lot from Michael uh, since our friendship began is that while my son is autistic, he's 16 years old, he has huge executive dysfunction that nobody has ever commented on on his IEP. Nobody has ever addressed any of those skills. And um, so I'm thinking of just moving to Pennsylvania. So uh, there you go. There you because <laughs> I need him to be a part of all your social groups that go out in the community. What you are doing with your teenage um, uh, 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 clients is just so rewarding for me to sit back and watch. And I just wish... Um, that I had somebody, I wish I could clone you and just put one of you in every major city because I am so, I mean, I know this sounds weird, but since you're my junior, I can say this. I'm so proud of you, like for what <laughs> you are doing and what you have done. And now you have a baby and you're raising a yeah. child. And I'm just, I, I don't even know. I'm just, I'm so grateful um, to have, uh, you know, met you and to be doing this book club with you. Michael and I really, so it's been an hour. We are going to end here in a minute. We really <laughs> want to know what your feedback is. If you've enjoyed this, if, I mean, we are certainly going to keep doing it, even if nobody else joins us. Um, but next week we are going to do um, chapter one, right, Michael? Chapter one. Yeah. Chapter, chapter one is one. entitled how to fail and how not to, which Ooh. is a huge, huge part of executive functioning, how to fail. Because what came along with the, with the cognitive hypothesis is parents' anxiety of their kids failing. But right. in Carrie's amazing monologue she did there about her life and how she grew into this incredible, incredible person, uh, she went through, uh, and I, I guarantee you would agree that your early life struggles are the reason you are where you are today. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Not only my early life struggles, I'm a nine-year breast cancer survivor, and I'm very lucky to even be here today. When I think back to those years, well, that year when I was so sick and had seven surgeries in one year and didn't know if I was mm. going to survive, and mm. people always say to me, oh my gosh, you're so upbeat, you're so positive, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell you this. Once you've had cancer, um, the little stuff, you don't sweat the small stuff anymore. You know, mm. everything's a gift. And uh, yes, do we have struggles? You know, we have an autistic child and, you know, we have the stress of running our own business. But I'm just telling you, if I wake up, it's going to be a good day. So uh, even my adult 
experiences and struggles in life have shaped who I am and have shaped my perspective on life um, to the point where I almost feel like I need to be a motivational speaker because like I just, I mean, you know, oh crap, it flooded and our whole, like we have to get new flooring. That used to would have sent me over the moon, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and now I'm like, oh, well, it's life, you know, it rained a lot. I mean, like things happen now and I'm like, I used to would have just lost my mind. And so I think that uh, we continue to grow and is it possible do your executive function skills change as it uh, i mean can they continue to develop and grow and of course um, flexible no, you, and, abs with with every new experience and with well, every new uh, failure and with uh, every uh, hardship there you go there you go the My brain the, the brain is plastic let's no, do it we are hey, going to go hey. as motivational speakers because I truly believe executive function is and having intact and strong executive function is the key to everything. And yet I haven't even been using that term until I met you like six months ago. So I just think that we have work to do in the field of speech language pathology. I think there needs mm -hmm. to be a complete course taught on executive function. And yep. so we need to just keep talking. We have, um, you know, um, hopefully this will continue to grow. You guys, we would really appreciate, we appreciate the likes, we appreciate the shares, and we really appreciate word of mouth. We want you to tell your colleagues, tell your friends, because Michael and I are um, doing this because we're passionate, but we want to reach more than 72 people if at all possible you know we really want to uh, affect change and we feel like we have the uh the uh tools to do so because there are so many books uh, michael and i've already picked out like the first 10 yeah, books. yeah seriously so yeah. this is gonna be it's like true. a 10 year journey because our um our uh selection of topics is never ending so for that we are grateful Hey, if, if we can get that passionate and talk for this long about a 15-page introduction, <laughs> think what's going what's gonna to happen when we get into the actual chapters? Well, I don't know. Chapter one may be two weeks because I just, I mean, like every time somebody mentions something, I'm like, oh, what about, oh, let me show there you. There you go. I yeah. Just, I have, so the last thing, somebody asked a question. I hope she's still on here. She said, but if I don't let my son watch the screen in the car seat, how am I going to get him to stay in the car seat? So I just want you to know that I developed an entire set of parenting handouts available on my website. It's called Parenting Strategies for Challenging Routines. And I have one in here, Strategies for Children Who Dislike Writing in the Car Seat. Okay, so mm, just so you know, there we go. An entire, you have to have special toys that are left in the car. There ha you have to do things that are relevant and meaningful to the child. Um, we can't say, oh, I give him the screen at Walmart or in the car or at the doctor's office because otherwise he cries. He's not the boss. He's two, right? He's there three, you go. He's four. There you You're go. You're the parent, and you decide, oh, buddy, no screen time. That's not an option. Do you want to read a book or listen to music? iPad, iPad. Not a choice. We have nope. to be okay with saying no, and not a choice should be your most yes. common phrase because just yes. because your two-year-old says iPad or phone, you say, oh, I know you like the phone. That's not an option right now. That's yes. not a choice. So exactly. until you can say that, you're going to have a tough time moving forward. Parenting is the hardest job in the world. Bar exactly. Okay? And, it, and it, it, it is okay for you as the parent to sometimes be the bad guy. Well, your it's son, all your, your, love. Exactly. And discipline is, um, everybody thinks of discipline as being punishment. Discipline means to no. teach. 
Yes. Let's be very clear. Discipline yes. simply means to teach. Okay. Yes. And so when you discipline your child, you are teaching them what is acceptable behavior in the moment and what is unacceptable behavior in the moment. Okay. So yes, the book is how children succeed. How children by succeed Paul by Paul Tuff. Tuff. It's like under $9 on Amazon. It's not mm -hmm. like it's going to break the bank. It will change your world. I'm just telling you every book Michael and I have picked. Um, the reason we started with this in case you missed our live last week is because Michael actually brought this book up and I said, Said, oh my god yeah. i have that on my shelf and yep. i whipped around and found it so we said hey if we start the book club we'll just go ahead and start with this one so um there you go our hope is that this will be five more weeks because there's five chapters but the way michael and i talk <laughs> i don't know maybe 10 weeks we're gonna try to get through it though because we want to do many books you know we don't want to spend yeah. half a year on one book so um, exactly it's also available if you don't love to read i know for some people reading is tough if you're in the car a lot if you have to take public transportation um it is available is an audiobook so that's another option yeah. do not have to read read it you can have somebody read it to you so that you can listen in the car listen when you're walking your dog things like that so be flexible right that's kind of the name of our game is be flexible and find a way um if you do not have time to read michael and i are doing the hard part we're going to read for you we're going to take notes and give you kind of those bullet points as we go so exactly. again, we appreciate your feedback we appreciate the comments and the questions and we would love to know what you thought of our first episode yes and, and i i cannot thank you guys enough you know keep, keep tapping that like for carrie and all that all that all the amazing things she said tonight you know you guys uh for all for you guys to spend your monday with us and be so passionate about this, this chapter chat this, this is this is incredible and this is i, I yeah. i'll do that i'll do this seven days a week if i can you know this is just I know, I know. all of all of this stuff i didn't even know we wanted this. Like, you yeah. think we've been planning this for months. Literally, yeah. last Thursday, we came up with the idea, and we have been, like, texting back and forth incessantly, like, just, like, I, I don't even know. I don't even, I'm just, I, I just guess I have to say this, Michael. I am so grateful to find a colleague who is as passionate as I am because I have, like, excitement oozing from my pores. And for some people, right. I'm a little overbearing because it's just too much. But I appreciate that you can match me because That's I right. read That's right. your passion. And I have That's already right. learned so much from you. I just And I, I think about my son and the things you've taught me about what his struggles are because I knew there was something and it was more than language. Do you know what I mean? Everybody just says, oh, he has language deficit. And I'm like, but there's something else because the kid is fully conversational now. I mean, fully, but there's something missing. And now I get it. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done. Hey, me. hey, this is, this is, I am so excited for every, Monday is the day of the week now. It used to be Friday. Used to be it Saturday. Now it's Mondays. Look forward to Monday, right? Now it's Mondays. Mondays are the day. T G I M, right? T G I M. I love it. All right, Michael. I will see you next week for chapter yeah. one. Um, hope you guys will join us, and hope you'll tell your friends um, about this because we would love to be able to uh, get it out there um, and share this information with as many people as possible. Absolutely, yeah. So, so you guys, you guys, uh, you guys can share all this information. Uh, share the 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 chapter chat information with all you guys. Monday uh, Fun Day. Monday Fun Day. Everyone, everyone, we're on we're on page one now. Everybody, we're on page one. <laughs> so, everybody, everyone, read the first chapter. Uh, and he really, uh, the first chapter is gonna, it's, it's gonna it's pull powerful. at your heartstrings. It's a, it it's will. a powerful one. Uh, and this is an incredible, incredible book. And just like Carrie said. You know, from all these chapter chats, we're going to really put together some incredible materials for you guys to really, this is all about change. We're not, we're not doing this for fun. We're doing this to improve the lives of therapists 
and Objective educators change, and parents. Right? And then we, we need to see full a full 180 in the edu yep. in the in what's happening in education in this yep. country. And and, and in if, our if therapy we, sessions, yep. we need to stop writing meaningless goals that are just stop doing worksheets. Scores. No more worksheets. No, no more worksheets. No more worksheets. Increasing scores on a standardized test, like who cares? I mean, I yep. want to know functionally. Okay, how did the child's functional skills improve because of our yes. intervention? And yes. if it's not functional, and that's why my son, I mean, I did a post, I know we have to get off here, but I've done a post before about I'm a pediatric therapist, but my son has had very little direct therapy, because I'm not interested in somebody teaching to the test. That is the last thing I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in him hanging out with Michael McLeod. That's <laughs> what I'm in. Like, there I you go. Get him. Exactly. Um, uh, so I just, I just adore you, Michael. I adore every Everything you do I adore everything you stand for and I am so happy to be partnering with you on this project hey this is this is this is everything to me this is amazing this is so well. much fun hey this was amazing and all these, all the all the life stories you told tonight I, I, I want to run through a, a wall right now I know so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good this is this is this is a lot of fun so uh, so every, everyone is. everyone read chapter one uh, we're yep. gonna get we're gonna get more and more interactive with you guys and answer more yep. and more questions and uh, get, get some great comments from you guys. You guys can DM us if you want us to talk about yep. something in particular. Yep. Uh, this yep. is this is this is this is all about the community. It's all about you guys. Yep. So thank you for joining for our first episode of Chapter Chat. We'll see you next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Sounds Bye, good. Yep. See you soon. Take care. <laughs>